Hi, I'm Bree. And I'm Haley. And this is Calendar of Crime, where each week we examine a case from This Week in History. Our case this week is about a 17-year-old girl who went missing on June 5, 1974. Little is known about her case, but it shares an interesting connection with a much more well-known case, a double murder, and the serial killer who was convicted for it. Today, we're discussing the disappearance of Catherine Lynn Schoberg. Catherine Lynn Schoberg, known as Kathy to her friends and family, was born on January 15, 1957 in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, to parents Marvin and Ruth. Her parents went on to have another daughter, Wendy, and two sons, Leonard and Palmer. A friend would later describe her as a typical teenager in the 70s, stating that, quote, She was just a regular kid. She dated a lot, but one guy at a time. She liked sports like swimming and ice skating, not like school sports. Most people liked her right away. She was real friendly. There's not much known about Kathy's early years, but we do know that her parents, Marvin and Ruth, divorced in 1973. Was that really common back then? How common was divorce in 1973? It wasn't super common, although it was definitely more common than it had been 10 or even five years earlier. The divorce rate in 1973 was about 4.3%, compared to 2.2% in 1963. Okay, so percentage-wise, it had doubled, but it's still a really small percentage. Did we have any information about why her parents got divorced? We don't know, and we can't know for sure how Kathy felt about it, although according to her friends and family, she seemed to be okay with it. She seemed happy and well-adjusted, and she was even looking forward to her mom remarrying. Kathy was supposed to be her mother's maid of honor. On June 3, 1974, Kathy had just finished her junior year at Oconomowoc High School and was getting ready to attend junior prom. She had chosen a long blue gown with tiny white flowers and heels. Her date was a boy named Timothy Council, who she had been dating for about a month. She went to a friend's house to look for jewelry to wear to prom the next day. The friend said that she didn't find anything, but stated that, quote, when she came over to my house, she was excited. Her mom agreed that Kathy was excited for prom, stating that, quote, she was happy. That's all she talked about. Kathy attended the dance on June 4th, 1974. After it was over, Kathy and her date attended a post-prom party sponsored by the Oconomowoc Rotary Club that was being held at the Jefferson County Concord House Dance Hall on Interstate 94 in Concord, Wisconsin. The party was scheduled to go until 4 a.m. That's super late. I know that I didn't go to prom, but I certainly don't remember prom ending so late either. No, I think prom usually doesn't end that late. But you know how sometimes schools or communities will sponsor an after prom shut in or party to kind of like curb the possibility that kids might make bad decisions like drinking and driving. It seems like it was that kind of situation. Oh, okay, that makes way more sense. At about 3 a.m. on what was now June 5th, Kathy and her boyfriend had a disagreement and Kathy walked outside to get some fresh air. A girlfriend of Kathy saw her walk out. She never walked back in. So her boyfriend or her friends must have noticed when she didn't come back in, right? That's what's so frustrating about such an old case with little coverage. Nobody seemed to sound an alarm right away, and we don't really have a good explanation as to why. In my research, I did see speculation that her boyfriend assumed she left with friends and her friends assumed she left with her boyfriend. 
but we don't have any definitive information about why no one realized she had disappeared right away. I hate feeling like there's a big piece of the puzzle missing. I know, me too. Kathy had planned on spending the night at a friend's house, so her mom wasn't alarmed when she didn't come home that night. Timothy called for her the next day, which I've seen reported as Friday, but it seems like it must have been Thursday based on the dates. Ruth told him that she wasn't home yet, but was expected to be home soon because she was going to be handing out programs at the high school graduation the following day. So essentially, she needed to be home soon because she had to be awake early-ish? That's the impression that I got, yeah. But he must have called around to friends looking for her because he called Ruth back later in the night to tell her that nobody knew where Kathy was. We can't be sure what time he called Ruth back or when she finally became convinced that Kathy was really missing. But news reports at the time say that authorities were notified around midnight on Friday, approximately 21 hours after Kathy walked out of the Concord house. That's a long, long time. And it also seems really late for her to finally be worried. I totally agree. And especially in 1974, when there's no technology to trace and not a whole lot of investigation options beyond just boots on the ground. But did they at least put boots on the ground? I mean, technically, they did search for Kathy, but because of rain and cold weather, they didn't begin the search until Saturday. Wait, what? Yeah, there were two other reasons why they may have waited, though. One was that there were early reports that Kathy had been seen in Delafield at about 7 a.m. on June 5th, three hours after leaving the party. The reports were that she had been seen walking down the street in her formal dress, and they may have led police to believe that she had run off willingly. Oh, okay. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I can understand that. Yeah. Unfortunately, those reports were never substantiated, so there's no way of knowing whether or not they were accurate. The other reason that police may have waited to begin searching is because Ruth made statements that may have insinuated that she believed Kathy had left of her own volition and would be back. Did she say that Kathy had a history of running away or something? No, actually. All of the reporting said that Kathy had no history of running away. But Ruth's wedding to her second husband was scheduled for the Saturday after prom, and like we mentioned earlier, Kathy was supposed to be the maid of honor. Ruth told reporters that, quote, I'm not changing my plans. If Kathy's around anywhere, she'll be at the wedding. Whoa, okay. I can see how police could have heard that and thought that this mom definitely assumed her daughter had left on her own. Right. It's a little different from the usual statements from parents when a kid goes missing, but I'm wondering if maybe Ruth meant if somehow Kathy did run off, she would most certainly not be missing the wedding. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to tell, especially because it was so long ago. Absolutely. Once the search did start, they did go pretty big, especially for 1974. A police helicopter searched by air and a ground search of about 70 people was conducted. The area Kathy had last been seen at was swampy, with drainage ditches and a few ponds. Jefferson County Sheriff's Department Chief Deputy Harry Buger said on June 12th that, quote, The helicopter is searching the whole east end of the county. There are various possibilities here. She could have left with someone she knew, or she could have walked to the road and stuck up her thumb, or she could be deceased. We have no way of knowing. It's wild to me that people hitchhiked so often in the 70s that cops were like, yeah, this is a valid possibility. So wild. I, it was really a different time. The only thing of interest found during the search were some clothes found in a field in Economowoc, 
which police thought might have been Kathy's. However, Ruth confirmed that the clothes did not belong to her daughter. There were countless interviews done, and her boyfriend was considered the prime suspect at first. However, he was ruled out as a suspect after he passed a polygraph. I mean, I don't know anything about this guy, but I am going to go ahead and side-eye ruling out someone based purely on a polygraph. Yeah, there's not a lot of information out there about him, but I sincerely hope that the police had more than just polygraph results to rule him out. We've talked before about how unreliable polygraphs can be, both to confirm innocence or guilt. Exactly. The case went cold really quickly after that. Tips would come in, but none of them were able to be substantiated. A year after Kathy went missing, in 1975, Ruth talked to reporters about how hard it was to have no answers, stating, quote, You don't know if she's alive or dead. You'd like to know one way or another. It's just that it would be nice to know. You could cope with whatever did happen. Ugh, that's rough. And saying that in the second person makes me feel like she probably felt the need to remove herself somewhat from the situation, which I think is super sad. Super sad, and also completely understandable. I can't imagine the trauma of a child going missing, and not only did Ruth have another daughter and two sons to care for, but her second husband had also brought another six kids with him into the family. Six more kids? So that's nine total? Yeah, so Ruth definitely had her hands full, but honestly, the distraction might have made it easier to get through the days. Yeah, no, that's true. Just the two kids I have every day at home keep me pretty distracted. I can't imagine nine. Yeah, me either. The case had gone completely cold by that point, a year later, and it would be another five years before it got any type of attention again. Did they finally get a break in the case? No. But Kathy's name suddenly came up again when two more teenagers went missing after attending an event at the Concord House venue. Okay, you've got my attention. Yeah. So on August 9th, 1980, a 19-year-old couple from Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin, Tim Hack and Kelly Drew, attended a wedding reception at Concord House. They had plans to meet up with friends afterwards, but they never showed up. When Tim wasn't at church the next morning, his dad called around and found out they had been seen leaving the reception around 11 p.m. the night before. Tim's dad drove over to Concord House and found Tim's brown Oldsmobile parked in the parking lot. Tim's jacket, checkbook, and wallet with $67 were all locked in the car. I feel like $67 was probably a pretty decent amount of money in 1980, but am I wrong? Uh, it was about the equivalent of $240 today, so not a huge amount, but also enough to make it unlikely that they had been robbed. Okay, that makes sense. Tim's father reported the couple missing, and a search began. On August 15th, Kelly's ripped and tattered clothing was found in the road about three miles away. Despite continued search efforts, no more clues were initially found. This is sounding super familiar at this point. A lot like Kathy's case, right? But this one would end differently, because on October 16th, 1980, two hunters discovered human remains at the edge of the woods near the town of Exonia, about eight miles from the Concord house. The remains were badly decomposed, but they were identified as Tim Hack and Kelly Drew. Although no exact cause of death could be determined, there was evidence that Tim may have been stabbed, and Kelly's probable cause of death was listed as strangulation. Did they have any suspects? So there was a man named Edward Edwards. Hold on. Edward Edwards. Yeah, I will never understand how parents name their kids something like that. Um, but, well, that was his name. 
Sometimes he was known as Edward Wayne Edwards, so that kind of mixes it up a little. He was brought to police's attention as a potential suspect for the killings of Tim and Kelly. A witness said that he was working security at Concord House at the time of the murders, and that he had had injuries to his face around the time of the murders. Well, that sounds very much like a promising lead. It did, but police were unable to find any further evidence at the time. So were these murders connected to Kathy's disappearance? There was no evidence to say that they were, but the similarities between the crimes, particularly the location, made a lot of people speculate that they might be connected, especially since both were unsolved crimes. That makes sense. Over the next several decades, countless unidentified bodies were compared to Kathy's dental records, but none of them were her. In 1995, Ruth finally decided to hold a memorial service for Kathy. She said, quote, It's been 21 years, and I think it's time to say goodbye. A headstone was erected for Kathy at an Exonia cemetery following the memorial. All those years later, Ruth had come to believe that her daughter had been abducted, stating, quote, Everyone that knew her knew she didn't run away. She was a happy teenager. There was no reason why she would. It sounds like she was really sad, and it's definitely a different attitude than she had in those first few days. Yeah, I noticed that as well. There were no more leads until May of 2009, when a girl named April Edwards contacted police in Wisconsin and told them she suspected her father was guilty of the 1980 murders of Tim Hack and Kelly Drew. April Edwards? As in Edward Edwards' daughter? Yep, you got it. Police followed the information April provided them with and obtained a DNA warrant, which they used to match Edwards' DNA to semen found on Kelly's pants in 1980. Oh, shit. Yep. Edwards was 76 at this point and initially claimed he and Kelly had had consensual sex, but eventually confessed to the murders, as well as three other cold case murders. Three more? Yep. One of the other murders he confessed to was another double murder of 21-year-old Billy Lavaco and 18-year-old Judy Straub in Ohio. They had been shot at close range in August of 1977. The third was the 1997 death of his foster son, Daniel Danny Boy Edwards Glockner. So this guy was a legitimate serial killer. Yeah, 100%. He pled guilty to those five murders and was sentenced to death in March of 2011, but he died of natural causes just one month later. And do the authorities think that Edwards could have been responsible for Kathy's disappearance as well? Well, Edwards is suspected in as many as 15 other murders, but authorities believe he was not in Wisconsin at the time of Kathy's disappearance, which would exclude him from being a suspect in her case. So it's just a weird coincidence that Kathy disappeared from the same place that Edwards abducted and murdered two people from. Yeah, it looks that way. Okay, so let's talk about this coincidence. It seems like admitting to two double murders suggests that he had a specific victimology, but his foster son kind of throws that for a loop. Yeah, I totally agree. That's what I thought too. But according to the source material, Edwards killed his foster son as part of a scheme to try to claim insurance money. So it seems like that was a targeted murder with a financial motive. God, that is awful. What was the motive for the two double murders then? Well, I couldn't find anything stating that Edwards ever explained his motives for the two double murders, 
But in both cases, money and valuables were left behind. So robbery definitely wasn't the motive. In other words, no financial motive there, which is kind of interesting since that was the motive for the murder of his foster son. In the Tim Hack and Kelly Drew case, Kelly had been sexually assaulted, but there was no evidence that Judith Straub was sexually assaulted. So even that doesn't seem like a motive. But going after two people seems wildly more dangerous than just going after one. Yeah, absolutely it does. It just seems like there's so much more risk trying to attack two people instead of one. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it feels like someone who's willing to say, fuck it, I'll try to take out two people at once is probably capable of pretty much anything. It's possible that the motive for the double murders was just simply a desire to kill, as scary as that may sound. Or maybe he got some sort of gratification, sexual or otherwise, from feeling as if he had power over others. Ugh. And the method of killing was different for each case. Right. So with his foster son Danny, as well as the double murder of Billy and Judith, they were all shot, whereas there was no evidence of that with Tim and Kelly. It seems like there's not a solid victimology or methodology for who this guy killed or how. So Kathy certainly could have been a victim of his, since it doesn't seem like there's any rhyme or reason to who he murdered. But police said that he wasn't in Wisconsin when Kathy disappeared. How were they able to verify that? Well, that's difficult to say. They do say that. And I was able to find in the source material that from 1971 to 1973, he was, get this, doing appearances speaking as a quote-unquote reformed prisoner and published a book on his supposed rehabilitation. But I wasn't able to find confirmation on his whereabouts from 1974 to 1980 when he was questioned about Tim and Kelly's murders. The irony of being a spokesperson for a reformed prisoner while on, I'm assuming, parole murdering people is not lost on me at all. So he wasn't able to be confirmed for his whereabouts from 74 to 80, which is during the time frame that Kathy disappeared in 1974. Right. He was a drifter and he traveled all around the U.S., but I have to assume that the police may have had more information than I was able to get from the Internet, since they seem pretty convinced that he was not involved in Kathy's disappearance. Yeah, that's probably true, or at least I would certainly hope so. So where does that leave Kathy's case? Unfortunately, in exactly the same place it's been since 1974, unsolved and with no real leads. Her family has been waiting 48 years for answers. And they're no closer than they were the day Kathy disappeared. In 2009, Wendy Tesh, Kathy's younger sister, did her first interview in over a decade. She said that she has a picture with her sister from the day Kathy disappeared. Family members took several pictures that day because it was prom night. Wendy said in the interview, quote, she just didn't come home and didn't come home. Catherine Lynn Schoberg is described as a Caucasian female with brown hair and green eyes. She is five foot five inches tall. At the time of her disappearance, she weighed 120 pounds. She had pierced ears and a freckled complexion. Her collarbone had previously been broken and she had high cheekbones. Kathy was last seen wearing a light blue formal gown with brown and pink trim and white flowers, a corsage, a gold pin, a gold chain, and high heeled shoes. She would be 65 years old today. If you have any information regarding the whereabouts of Kathy Schoberg, please call the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office at 920-674-7363 or the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at 1-800-843-5678.
For all details and sources regarding this case, you can check the show notes or go to our website, calendarofcrime.com. If you enjoyed this episode, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Calendar of Crime, and we'll be back next week with a brand new case from That Week in History.